today here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'm here today with Tim Shiggle. We're going to be talking about a lot of different things that Tim's been involved with here in the Cincinnati marketplace and elsewhere in the country. Before we get started, let me tell you about the next program in our Business Builder Series up at Cloverner Country Club. That's called Fearless Selling, scheduled for May 7th from 11.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. Here at Sandler, we're going to have an executive briefing in a couple of weeks. So if anyone is interested in that, just call Brittany here at the office at 513-753-9400, and she can handle getting you registered for that program. Okay. Let me tell everyone a little bit about Tim. He's an accomplished entrepreneur and investor. He's the chairman of Share This. Uh, that's a new company based in Palo Alto. Now headquartered in Palo Alto. Now how, are you going to be moving it back to Cincinnati? It's doubtful, unfortunately. Yeah, well. But I'm still here. Good. There's a lot of talent in Palo Alto. You've created one of the largest web platforms powering for the sharing of content through social media. And uh, Share This has got 650 million users. Right. We reached 650 million worldwide. That's a worldwide number. Okay. Is, is it popular here in the States? Uh, we have one of the largest reaches on the web. So when when about 95, 96% of Internet users will see share this tools on websites. So if you go to a web page mm-hmm. and you see some content that you're interested in sharing, mm-hmm. and it says share this to email, Facebook, Twitter, oh. that's us. And so that's about, we support about 130 services in 40-plus languages around the world. Mm-hmm. So we reach... We're one of the largest platforms on the web, period. Okay. So if, if I wanted to share some stuff on LinkedIn, one of my favorites. There's a LinkedIn button there. Mm-hmm. If you don't see it on the page, you might see a share this button. You, mm-hmm. You'll see us by the, you'll, you'll see the less than sign, basically. Mm-hmm. A little green button. If you click, click the green button, it'll open up those 120 choices, which includes LinkedIn. Okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and publishers can decide what that looks like on a page. So when you go to different websites or even mobile sites, you'll see the sharing tools uh, displayed in different ways, and that is totally up to the publisher. So they get to, they have all the tools to design the sharing layout to match mm-hmm. their site and whatever they think is going to be most effective. That's great. Uh, you you want to have your marketing and salespeople call, talk to Sandler Corporate. 
Yeah, they, uh, they uh, most of those are, uh, folks are in New York, although we have some in LA as well, mm-hmm. selling uh, primarily to agencies. Yeah, uh, Sandler does use an a-, a digital agency. You you really should have someone talk to them. They they need help, and, and they're investing about a half a million dollars in in the project. Yeah, follow up on that. It's just jump change for you. In addition, uh, you manage the fifty million dollar. Uh, Fund for Centrifuge. That's a Cincinnati-based regional innovation initiative. That's a tongue twister to say. Investors in the fund include companies like uh, American Financial, Cincinnati Children's Hospital, Duke Energy, Kroger's, Procter & Gamble. That sounds like a who's who of big companies in Cincinnati. And Centrifuge invests in other startups. So Centrifuge is set up to basically help coordinate all of the startup activity in the region mm-hmm. and has a lot of support, as you can tell by those large corporate names. And in addition to helping entrepreneurs, one of the things entrepreneurs need is, is investment mm-hmm. right, in capital. We don't invest directly in the companies. We're investing in other venture capital firms in the region and outside the region to build a network. So we're, we're we will likely invest in 12 or so venture firms around the country. We've invested in four so far. Mm-hmm. And, we do that for two reasons. One is it leverages the capital. So that spreads, the risk, spreads the risk. Spreads the risk and gives us more capital. So we make commitments of about $15 million so far. That's part of uh, about $500 million worth of capital that those four firms represent. So 15 turned into 500 And the second thing is the expertise. So we try to select venture firms to work with that have great company building expertise as well as focus in certain verticals, certain types of startups that would be uh, very appealing to Cincinnati companies or would uh, have the opportunity to collaborate with Cincinnati companies, big and small, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to ultimately to help drive more investment in Cincinnati. Well, that's good. That's good. In 2012, you were asked to lead the digital efforts for the Republican National Committee for the and the presidential election. Is that still an ongoing project for you? Uh, no, no, it's not. It was a, it was a one, one and done, uh, type of deal. It was, uh, you know, I got, I got the call, serve your country. Mm-hmm. I never expected to be involved in politics and, and it really wasn't a political role per se, uh, but there was, um, they needed a lot of help on the digital and, and technology front. And so, uh, I got asked to go out there and, and help out with the election, which was, you know, which was fun. Learned a lot. Uh, we didn't win, mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, Obama built a you know great team in Chicago, and they had a huge head start as well as huge investment. And I think it's it's good. We 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 had some success uh, in that, and it started to give everybody a taste of what was possible and what what they needed to do. And so now I think you'll see that the uh, the efforts and investment in in technology as part of the election is going to ramp up significantly. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what I need. It sounds like more junk mail. <laughs> More junk email. <laughs> junk email, yeah. Prior to founding Share This, Tim, you were a director of the Blue Chip Venture Company. That's still in business today? Yeah. The founder uh, is Jack Wyant. Mm-hmm. Jack actually started Blue Chip in 1992. Okay. It was the very first venture firm in Cincinnati. So really? pretty pioneering stuff. Jack had run a couple of companies and decided we needed venture capital here. And uh, it became one of the largest in the Midwest. Um, mm-hmm. When I was there, I, I joined during the second fund. Mm-hmm. The way venture works is you raise a fund, you invest it, and then you raise another fund. And it's typically every 
three years, three to four years. And so I joined in the second fund, which was in 98, excuse me, was there through 2007. And we had 600 million under management. Mm-hmm. So we were investing $600 million. And it was one of the largest in the Midwest and uh, was, was great experience. Mm-hmm. So some of the companies that you invested in were places like advertising.com, Nissan, uh, Buzzmetrics, and Third Screen Media. Right. So, th- so, uh, <clears throat> I know you had a little bit of legacy back to AOL. Mm-hmm. Um, advertising.com sold to AOL for just under half a billion dollars in 2004. Great time to sell to AOL. <laughs> it, was, it was a good time. And, uh, company, fantastic company grew in the time we invested in five years from very little revenue to over 135 million revenue in, mm-hmm. in that, that period of time. Uh, Nielsen Buzz Metrics really started out, uh, as two different companies here in Cincinnati. One was Planet Feedback, mm-hmm. which, uh, was started by Pete Blackshaw, Mike Nazaro from Procter and Gamble. Remember that? Early investors. Yes. And then, <clears throat> meanwhile, Mahendra Vora, somebody you m- might want to have on the show if you haven't had him already. Well, you'll have to introduce me to him. He's been a tough guy to get yeah, on the phone. Tough guy to get, okay, if I, I'll call him. The, uh, so Mahendra, uh, was founder of IntelliSeq. Mm-hmm. And I encouraged the two companies to come together. Yeah, um, one, IntelliSeq did a great job with technology, not so much on the sales and marketing. Planet Feedback, sales and marketing, not so much technology. And so it was a perfect combination. That grew into and evolved through a series of different transactions, what became Nielsen Buzzmetrics. And then Third Screen Media was out of Boston. It was um, literally the first mobile advertising company, mm-hmm. also bought by AOL. So... And where is AOL today? We won't talk they, they, about we, that. Yeah, yeah, you, you have friends there, right? So we get no. No, no, I, have, <laughs> no I don't have any friends there anymore. Long time ago. <laughs> Long time ago. And prior to, well, before we continue, I want to remind people, Tim has agreed to take calls from uh, our listeners. If you want to call in with a question, we'll be able to screen those calls during the commercial breaks. The call-in number is the same as always, 646-595. 4916. Uh, now we're going back in history. Prior to Blue Chip, Tim, you were an entrepreneur and an international consultant for innovative projects. You, you Did you actually work for Apple? No. No, we were a, a partner with Apple, mm-hmm. consultant to Apple, and uh, we were one of two or three firms that would do custom software development for their largest customers, including people like Hughes Communications. Okay. And, uh, Procter and Gamble. And, uh, so back in those days, <clears throat> they, they might, uh, try to win over a large customer and it would require, you know, custom software development. And so they would call us and we would do that. And these were very large software development projects. And so I had an office out in Cupertino and would hang out with a, a bunch of folks at Apple and, and basically help evangelize the platform and deliver complex enterprise systems. Okay. Okay. And it- and you did some work in those days with Hitachi, Homa cards, Motorola as well. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, a lot of big customers for, for Apple. Uh, when I did the, the Hitachi with some international consulting, I started to learn a lot about customer driven design mm-hmm. methods, things like quality function deployment, QFD, uh, and, uh, Six Sigma methods. And, um, there's actually a local company here, ITI, International Techno Group. Mm-hmm. That was started by um, Jack Lemon, who was one of the founders of STRC, and they specialize in this that area as well, product development. And so uh, they asked me to lead some consulting projects. 
mm-hmm. with firms like Hitachi and Daiwoo and Samsung. So for a few years, I helped manage those projects in Asia, in Japan and Korea. I was going to Asia once a month. Okay, so you were getting a lot of frequent flyer miles. Yeah, I had a lot of frequent flyer miles. <laughs> Hit the million mark and then the two million mark pretty quickly. Yeah, well, it adds up when you, you're going up to Asia. Uh, we're uh, we're going to take a break here, Tim. Again, the call-in number is 646-595-4916. Hi, I'm Jimmy Fox of Tip Club. Tip Club is a professional networking organization whose members help each other succeed. We meet once per month and provide a forum where business-to-business professionals are able to connect with more desirable opportunities and build long-term strategic partnerships. I'm inviting Cincinnati Business Talk listeners to come to our free networking event. You'll have the opportunity to meet new people, share leads and referrals, and grow your business through strategic alliances. Membership in our Cincinnati group is open to only one person per specific trade or occupation. Business-to-business professionals only, please. We do not accept multi-level marketing or recruiting-driven memberships. This is our only group in Cincinnati. We'll meet on the third Thursday of the month from 7.30 to 9 a.m. at Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, 4357 Ferguson Drive, Cincinnati, Ohio. To reserve a seat, please go to www.tipclub.com and click on the Events tab at the top of the page. Then, just scroll down the list until you come to the Cincinnati event. Or you may call 800-798-0270. That's 1-800-798-0270. Thank you, and we look forward to seeing you at our next networking event. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Tim Shigel. Uh, Tim, uh, how do people get a hold of you if, after the show if they have questions? Best way is my Centrifuge email, tim at centrifuge.com. It's C-I-N-T-R-I-F-U-S-E, Centrifuge. Okay. Uh, you're active in the startup community here in the venture community in Cincinnati. Uh, I understand you're an independent board member in Dot Loop as well as the Brandry and uh, another one called LISNR. Is that Listener? Listener, yes. It's always hey, guessy he's... on uh, pronunciation of those. <laughs> Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Dot Loop? That's a popular one here in town. Sure. Dot Loop is uh, actually one of the highest growth, um, most exciting startups here. Um, the founder, CEO, is Austin Allison. He's 27, maybe 28 now. The UC grad, Cincinnati kid, uh, bought his first home when he was 17 and started getting into real estate, mm-hmm. uh, and discovered that, you know, as a, growing up as a, what they call digital native, mm-hmm. found out that home buying wasn't digital at all. Analog paper and pencil. Right. A lot of paper, a lot of forms. And so he said, why can't it be different? Mm-hmm. Right. And luckily he was naive enough to ask that question and not, you know, know the realities. And that's sometimes what it takes. And so he decided to take that on. And if you basically, it's for residential real estate. 
mm-hmm. where buyers and sellers can come together, agents, clients, to do real estate transactions. And that's a loop. So effectively, he's taking ideas of social media and making special purpose social networks, if you will, between maybe four to six, eight people to work through a transaction. Mm-hmm. Now, people think usually think of that as a bunch of documents, et cetera, right? Well, ultimately, mm-hmm. you can now with Dot Loop basically buy a home on your iPhone. So all of the back and forth and the revisions and all that is kind of kept track of automatically, and, and documents can be output from the process. Uh, it's more about the workflow. Uh, Austin calls it people work mm-hmm. instead of paperwork, which is which is brilliant. And they now have uh, uh, it's amazing. They, they they brought in an investor from the West Coast who's done a lot of real estate investing real estate technology investing. Uh, they have, uh, uh, they're involved in $15 billion worth of monthly transactions or month, transactions every month out of a total market of about $67 billion. So they literally have hundreds of thousands of agents and their brokers using the platform to manage real estate sales, mm. which is unbelievable. So literally disrupting that industry, which is fun to see. Oh, that's great. Are they uh, taking market share? Yeah, that, that 15 of 67, and that's that's a low number actually. So they're they currently are reaching 20, 30 percent of of that market. So it's phenomenal how mm-hmm. fast it's growing. What what percentage is still on paper and pencil? Well, <laughs> at least the the 60 or 70, uh, maybe more. In some cases, I bet they do things in parallel you know, okay. as well, but. Uh, there are a lot of advantages, uh, just like there is in everything else in life. When you start doing these things on the computer and doing it on the iPhone, um, it, it's a lot easier to track what's going on. It's just easier. You know, you're on the go. You're on the move. Uh, it keeps track of things as you go. So, um, But it's still a very much a paper-driven industry, mm-hmm. obviously. Well, legal contracts. Yeah. And uh, there's also um, the real estate associations in every state have licenses on the forms that you use. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's it's sort of a tricky market to walk through and not unlike maybe the digital music industry in terms of that transition. Uh, and uh, so they're very sensitive to that and, and work with industry um, to assist with that transition and also see the benefits of people work. And it's, it turns out to be much more productive for agents and brokers who are managing agents and, and the business, uh, they have better, much better visibility into what's going on and actually probably better compliance at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were talking to a mortgage uh, originating company, and he was t- telling us about 76 different forms that had to go through for every mortgage application. Uh, that's without considering the contract negotiations between buyer and seller. Sure. Uh what is your role at the brandery? So the brandery was started by uh, my friends J.B. Crop, Dave Knox, and Rob McDonald. Uh, J.B. actually used to work with me at Share This early on. Uh, Dave Knox started his career at Procter & Gamble. He's not Rockfish. Uh, Rob is at uh, Taft. Uh, I, you know, helped them, provided encouragement, et cetera, at the beginning. Um, and I've also been a mentor to their companies uh, every year. Uh, they have a class... This is their fifth year. They have a class of 10 companies every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's They just were ranked in the top 10 accelerators in the country a few weeks ago, uh, which is fabulous mm-hmm. for, for an accelerator in Cincinnati. They uh, Last year, to give you a sense, so 
companies compete, entrepreneurs compete for 10 spots. If you get selected, you get an investment of $20,000, okay? And it's a basically a four-month program. They fast-track you, help you get your message, your business plan, your strategy, maybe some development, help with the team with the goal of getting funded to the next level when you're done. Mm-hmm. They uh, last year had nearly 1,500 applications. And they had 10 for spots. For 10 spots, and those came from 47 different countries. Wow. One of the guys they selected came from Shanghai, another mm-hmm. one from San Francisco. So here in Cincinnati. So it's it's getting a awesome. It's great. Good reputation. Uh, have they had any really big hit companies yet? They've had companies, uh, yes, not any that have sold yet, mm-hmm. um, and that's the ultimate measure is sure. are they acquired. Uh, but uh, one of the one of the companies that uh, moved um, flight car, uh, the idea is uh, consumers could go to the airport, mm-hmm. leave their car. Right. And rent it out to other consumers while they're gone. So if my car is going to sit in a parking lot for a week, why not rent it out and make some money? Instead of it costing me money, I'll make money. Uh, <laughs> my mouth is hanging open on that one. Driving a brand new Mercedes. I, well, not, it may not be for everybody. Not for everyone. You know, if I owned a, uh, a 10 year old beater, yeah, probably a pretty good idea. Not a bad idea. No. And who cares? Drive the beater to the airport, leave the Mercedes at home for when you're going to have fun, and mm-hmm. make money instead of paying whatever it is, 20, 30, 40 bucks a day. And some of these, you know, they're in Boston, I think is where they moved the company. The, uh, it's expensive. The day rate at, at the airport right. terminal right. is expensive. Right. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about Listener, if you could. Listener's uh, very exciting. Started by a guy named Rodney Williams, who also started his career at Proctor. And... Um, the idea is that they can embed what's called an audio beacon in any audio file. A beacon is a signal mm-hmm. that your iPhone or, or Android can hear, but you can't hear it. We, you and I can't hear it. It's the frequency is higher than we can hear, but the, 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 our phones can pick it up, and it could trigger content on your phone. So this technology is embedded in different apps. And so I'll give you an example of a sure. few different things that they've done. At a live concert in L.A., mm-hmm. I think they did this in cooperation with us, Sony, people were encouraged when they came to the concert to download Listener. Okay. 17,000 people downloaded it that night. At the concert. At the concert. When, in the background, after they downloaded it, content would load on the on your phone in the background. At different rates, didn't matter. What right? kind of content would load? In this case, the content were graphics that that mirrored the light show. Oh, cool. And this was an EDM concert, so DJ kind of deal. Uh, Swedish House Mafia. It was. So at some point in the concert, Swedish House Mafia says, hold up your phones. And now everyone's phone synchronized to the light show on the stage. And it didn't, that synchronization happened through the audio signal. So it didn't require cell, a cell signal or Wi-Fi or Bluetooth at that point. Because if you have 20,000 people in one spot all trying to get on the signal, you know, that won't work. You know, just like a blog show. You know, you may, you may, it may crash. Um, the uh, uh, in this case, it, it it downloaded a cache to the background beforehand, mm-hmm. so that it came off and it was synchronized. Another example, they worked with uh, Dallas Cowboys, a big stadium in there. Right. When people are sitting in the seats, when the players came through the tunnel and were announced, their player card would flash up on your phone. Mm. Or if a key play happened on the field, they could. Again, put information out there about the key players. On so the this, play. this listener app would run in the background on your Android or Apple phone, iPhone. Right, and 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 uh, developers are building it into their apps 
So it doesn't have to be a listener app per se, uh, but it might be an app that comes out for a musician, right, or the Dallas Cowboys or uh, a retailer, anything that wants to have that audio-enabled content to be triggered on your phone. Mm-hmm. Is it a, a two-way kind of a stream or is it just one way? It's two-way. Uh, the audio is not two-way, but it, it, the, it can be two-way in terms of it knows who you are, knows what phone or device you're on. So it can be tied to a CRM system on the back end. So if I know it's you and I know this is the fifth time you've played Taylor Swift, because I know you're a big Taylor Swift fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Can't live without that. Maybe, maybe, maybe after five times listening to it or 500 times, you can unlock a special video. Okay. So the content's triggered based on what the content is, but also based on you. So that's another reason you ought to talk to Sandler about that, is all of our audio content is going through a, a digital rework. Uh, it should be embedded. Well, they, if they people, just put serial numbers into it uh, for every kit, and uh, we have the a, possibilities are this could be in movies, mm-hmm. it could be on the radio in your car. So if anybody's listening to their tapes in the car, so that it's triggering content on your phone, synchronized to what you're listening to. Mm. So in other words, you're listening to a Sandler PowerPoint, a Sandler uh, 10-minute talk on upfront contracts. Mm-hmm. And that could trigger one or two PowerPoint slides to show up on your phone. Exactly. Or a video. That's pretty good. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. You ought to talk to Steve Howell back at uh, Sandler's office. Uh, I'll introduce I'll you to him. I'll get his number afterwards. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> uh, you also serve on some nonprofit. Let's see how we're doing on time. Well, I guess we're getting ready for taking another commercial break here. Right. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about the rest of uh, the stuff. After this next commercial break, again, if you have a question, you can call in on 646-595-4916. Let's listen to uh, two of my favorite Sandler commercials. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. If you're a salesperson or a company owner, my message is critical for you. Today, I want to talk to you about the real secret of getting out of debt. Earn more money. Most salespeople and owners want to sell more at a higher price with better margins, but don't know how. I've helped hundreds of people and companies grow over 30% per year by making an investment in themselves. Albert Einstein said, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. I teach my clients new and different strategies, tactics, and behaviors that get dramatic results. I'm not for everyone. I'm tough, expensive, abrasive, and not politically correct. But if you want results, we need to talk. Call me at 513-753-9400, extension 102. Give me your toughest questions. Then, if you qualify, I'll invite you in for a free meeting. 513-753-9400, extension 102. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. Finding power and reinforcement is what it's all about. Today, I want to tell you about the ways that our clients have found to fix their companies and lives. Earn more money. I'm not for everyone. I'm expensive, tough, abrasive, and not politically correct. But if you want to have great financial results, we need to talk. Albert Einstein said insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. I teach my clients new and different strategies, tactics, and behaviors that get dramatic results. If you're serious, dedicated to getting better, and want to earn more money by selling more to balance your budget, we need to talk. Call me, Mike Roth, at 513-753-9400, extension 102. Tell me your toughest business problems, 
Then, if you qualify, I'll invite you in for a free meeting. 513-753-9400, extension 102. On the web at rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth with Sandler Training, finding power and reinforcement. Are you tired of prospects saying, I want to think it over? Are you tired of being an unpaid consultant? Call me at 513-646-6523. On the web at rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth and Tim Shiggle. We're going to be talking about some other things that, that Tim has been involved with. Uh, you're involved with, you're, you're a graduate electrical engineer, right? Yep, that's right. Once upon a time, Don't I, ask me to do anything, though. Yes. Uh, I was an electrical engineer that never worked a day in the field. No. Nope. Uh, <laughs> but I was curious about your involvement with something called TIME, the advisory board for the University of uh, Cincinnati. Well, actually, t- TIME's uh, associated with Case Western. Oh, it's with Case uh, which Western. Which is my uh, alma mater. And uh, TIME stands for the Institute for uh, Management and Engineering. So it was a curriculum that we developed so that engineering students could also get an MBA. Mm-hmm. So it was really an engineering MBA. Okay. Uh, not necessarily a full MBA, but it was meant to uh, <clears throat> address the changing times and, and what a lot of uh, employers were looking for, which is they wanted strong people technically, mm-hmm. but they saw that people now have to communicate better, present better, mm-hmm. et cetera, understand the business, not just live in a silo of engineering. So this was meant to give them those skills, uh, which are, are obviously if you graduate with those kind of that background and that uh, training, you're much better suited for the workplace and for uh, you know promotions and and uh, climbing the the corporate ladder, if you will. Yeah, I, I I've worked with some engineering types that would you would slide the problem under the door at eight o'clock in the morning and five thirty they would slide the answer back out. Right, right, right. They didn't talk to anyone all day, but that was the way they worked. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, share the share this project. This is something where you're spending a lot of your time. I yeah, I split my time not well mm-hmm. uh, between share this and centrifuge. Mm-hmm. They actually complement each other pretty well. I moved uh, a couple years ago. Uh, we were growing quite a bit, mm-hmm. and uh, as I mentioned, headquarters is in Palo Alto. We also have offices in San Francisco, L.A., Chicago, and New York. I was looking at. Uh, hiring a COO or president mm-hmm. and met a guy named Kurt Abrahamson who uh, was at Google mm-hmm. for a while, ran sales operations, launched Google AdSense, really had a great background for what where we were trying to go as a company. Um, he was looking for a CEO job. Mm-hmm. I said, hey, you can call yourself whatever you want. You can call me whatever you want. We're just trying to build a big company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so come on board. You can be CEO. I'll be chairman. Uh, that gives me time to stay home and not have to worry about day-to-day. day-to-day. <laughs> and uh, uh, we complement each other real well. So so we started that, and that freed me up. And then the Centrifuge uh, initiative started, and so I've, I've been able to, to make both of those work. Okay. Let me take a, uh, a question I'd like to ask all of our guests. You've been leading various companies for how many years now? Oh. <laughs> well, uh Leading, put yourself in a leadership hat. In the leadership hat. Well, in venture is kind of interesting because sometimes you had to come in and fill the interim CEO spot. Mm -hmm. But uh, I I really consider share this the true. You know, I created a CEO, so you know, it's called five years there. 
mm-hmm. uh, been in and out of those leadership positions for probably 20. Okay. We have a lot of leaders, company leaders, that listen to the show. Perhaps you could give them a leadership tip or two based on your experience mm. in multiple companies. Sure. Uh, I'm a big believer in servant leadership. Mm. So uh, I try to... Um, I try to make sure others, you know, one, I know my own limitations or I know I'm limited. I may not always recognize what those limitations are, but I know I do have limitations. And uh, so it's, uh, it, you know, it's important to hire people that may challenge you, mm-hmm. that are probably better than you are at, at, at what they do, mm-hmm. and uh, and um, and serve them, help make them remove roadblocks for them, mm-hmm. right? And so... I view, I view my job oftentimes as making myself obsolete. Okay. Right? You, you know a leader is doing a good job if they're not running around with their hair on fire, <laughs> um, which I usually am caught doing, but it's probably because I have too many projects going on. But uh, but uh, in Share This, for example, we have a lot of great leaders and people that own their area of responsibility and do a much better job than I could ever do, and that frees you up to do a lot of other things. And... Um, I just it's it it means letting go. Mm-hmm. It means knowing what your ultimate goal or outcome expectation is. Sure. And maybe some guiding principles, maybe in terms of you know uh, what you believe in. But other than that, let them go. Mm-hmm. And let them. They're gonna. They may solve a problem in a way that you, in a way you wouldn't solve mm-hmm. it. But hey, if you get to if you get to the same place, uh, it's all good. And then they own the solution. And they own it. There's there's pride in that. Um, uh, it's it's just it's good all the way around. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, thinking about uh, share this. Why is it that people buy from you at share this? So the business model for share this, uh, what I described earlier, was primarily the solution for publishers. It's a free solution for publishers. Uh, we have we have upwards of three million publishers that use Share This. Okay. So if it's free, what's what the revenue equation for Share This? Advertising. So uh, because of our large reach, we are able to understand how people are sharing what content across the web and create audiences that advertisers are trying to reach with, with online advertising, which could be display ads, video ads, mobile ads. And um, we believe the bet was obviously that sharing is really important mm-hmm. behavior. And if you share something with somebody, it's obviously meaningful either to you or the person you're sharing it with. Mm-hmm. Uh, the trick was, how can you keep track of that? How do you know what everybody's sharing? Particularly because they can share in so many different ways. So Share This was set up to be the universal sharing platform, if you will. So we track email, Facebook, and Twitter. We don't track any personal information. Um, and uh, our advertisers then come to us and say, help us reach consumers who are thinking about family travel. Mm-hmm. Might be a request from Disney. Okay. Uh, other customers are AT&T, American Express, Bank of America, Toyota, Unilever. You know, the list goes on. A lot of great name brands that are spending millions with us uh, to reach those customers. And we've we've found that sharing really is a great way to think about it. And uh, much like search, when, when Google came out with search, if I, if I mentioned to you you should do search marketing, you'd look at me funny, right? What What is that? I remember the first time someone told me that. I, I did look at him funny. I yeah. said, what the heck is a Google? Yeah, exactly. And disruptive things tend to be, you don't know they're disruptive until after they've done the disruption. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, it changed, Google changed it the changed, world. It changed the world. It changed direct marketing. Mm-hmm. 
90% of direct marketing probably happens on Google now, right? Or happens online at least. I believe sharing has the power to do that to brand marketing in the way search did it to direct response marketing or direct marketing. So brand marketing is a, tri- a little bit trickier. It's a up, what you call upper funnel activity, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're trying to create awareness and consideration for your brand. Mm-hmm. So if somebody, if, if my wife and I are sharing links back and forth about travel destinations, mm-hmm. we might be pretty good prospects for Disney to contact, you know, for a Disney family uh, package. So we believe this sharing activity lends itself really well to, to brand advertising. So my goal is really to transform the way brand advertisers think about digital marketing in the way Google transformed direct response marketers. Mm-hmm. And you share this has been up for five years? Yeah, we, we launched in November 2007. Okay, so, so actually like, more. More like seven years. Seven years, yeah. So the, um, and we, we, uh, See, we um, launched in 2007. I actually incubated it a little before that, but officially we launched in 2007, late 2007. Mm-hmm. Do you have competition in that market space? Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, obviously competition is good and healthy. Um, on the publisher side, we have a, a, there's a company called Add This. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so very similar, similar set of tools for publishers. We generate revenue in different ways, though. Uh, and then on the advertising side, there are, there's a whole slew of different uh, uh, competitors that are, whether it's display and video advertising or social advertising, you name it. Uh, in the advertising world online, there are hundreds of competitors, very fragmented market, but very few get to the scale that we are. Mm-hmm. And for advertisers and agencies, it's a bit of a nightmare to figure it all out. And they'd rather work with fewer vendors, not more. And mm-hmm. so if you can come to them and reach millions of people mm-hmm. and provide them a one-stop shop, if you will, of research and insights and analytics and advertising and make their jobs easier, you'll win more business. Mm-hmm. So how many salespeople do you have at share of this? Oh, total sales count now is in the 20s. Mm-hmm. Uh, we um, we have uh, just over 100 employees. Mm-hmm. What do you see as the opportunities and possibilities for the share of this company? Uh, I'm excited about big opportunities, endless opportunities. We're really... Uh, in an area that's very new for marketers mm-hmm. and uh, things social advertising quote unquote uh, native social is you know people think about primarily is Facebook and Twitter mm-hmm. right uh, well we're dealing with the whole web which is three to five times bigger than those yeah I've always so, had trouble with uh, with Twitter uh, how's that there's it's, too much there's too much coming back at you mm-hmm. the noise the stream yeah, you know, I'm connected to over 30,000 people on Twitter. Uh, I get all kinds of noise coming back at me. Yeah, there's there's a challenge there. There's a there's a content discovery challenge, which is how do I filter the noise? Mm-hmm. How do I make sense of it all and give my and and know with confidence that if I read these three things, I've read 95% of what there is to read about a subject, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's one. The challenge is if you over constrain that put too much structure around it, you might miss those interesting things you didn't know you were looking for. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's the dilemma, I think, for publishers. And no, we, we have that as human beings, you know. Right, right. So uh, there's there's still plenty of room for innovation. And, and I think, you know, Share This is going to be able to play a role in that. Good. Again, Tim has asked, uh, agreed to answer questions from callers. So if you want to ask Tim a question, you can call in on 595, I'm sorry, area code 646-595. Four nine one six. Let's listen to a San Luis San Luis number forty four. 
here to talk about Rule 44. If your foot hurts, you're probably standing on your own toe. Here's an example. You go through your proposal with the prospect. Everything looks great. Your prospect is responding in a positive fashion to the information that you brought to the table. Um, everyone feels good. You wrap up and move forward for the order, only to find that the prospect says that they have to take your information to a committee. Now, at this point, you can get angry with the prospect. Why didn't they bring that up? Why didn't they tell you that they were going to have to take this information to somebody else before they could make a decision? Well, it's your job to ask the right questions to uncover roadblocks and potential problems ahead of time so that you don't find yourself scrambling at a future date when it's already too late. So take responsibility when the prospect brings up new problems and challenges. If you ask the right questions ahead of time, you can diffuse the situation before it's too late. And next time you're faced with the situation, the results will be positive. This is Mike Roth and Tim Shigel. Tim, I always like to ask, we have a theory of operation here that simple solutions to complex problems are invariably wrong. Therefore, if you want to solve a complex problem, you've got to use a complex solution. Perhaps you could share with our listeners a complex problem that you ran into with a complex solution uh, without revealing any trade secrets, uh, but something that's from a theory of operation perspective could move from one industry to the next. Well, thinking on the spot on that one, uh, give me a second to figure out uh, a good example, but I, my initial response is to kind of challenge that notion. <laughs> so, okay. Which is, yeah, and given my background in customer-driven design, I think often – the reason that the simple solution doesn't solve the complex problem is because you don't know the problem, the real problem. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've ever seen the just the method of the five whys. Why don't you tell our listeners about that? The five whys. So great way to figure out the root cause to a problem, and this is a six, it may be a Six Sigma method, is to ask the question why five times. So why did such and such break? Oh, because, you know, the fan belt broke. Why did the fan belt break? Oh, well, because it was running too fast. Well, why was it running too fast? And you get down five whys, you'll get to the root cause. And so um, the trick is, I think, um, oftentimes in design is to is to really understand what the needs are up front and have a clear understanding of it and not Band-Aid. So when I did work for Hitachi, we were trying to develop their high-speed you know, industrial laser printers and get them to market half the time. Mm. Half the time. Half the time. That's a complex problem. Yes, it is. Right? We solved it. One of the ways we solved it is by reducing the parts by about half. Oh. We reduced complexity. We thought about the design with manufacturing and assembly and that goal in mind up front. Mm-hmm. As a result, quality went up, and we were able to produce the product faster. So they actually had did to succeed go, in using half the number of parts. Yes, but it, it took rethinking the problem from mm-hmm. the beginning. You couldn't patch it. Right, you, you you couldn't go back to the existing design and just alter it with a simple solution, a band-aid. Mm-hmm. You had to go back and rethink what you were trying to do. And so I think that's that. Uh, sometimes you can do that, sometimes you can't. You know, mm-hmm. not all situations allow you to go back and and do the redesign. But the five whys is a good way to to understand what it, what is the actual problem you're trying to solve. And you might find that you can find a simple solution um, 
uh, if you really understand the problem you're solving. Right. We, we teach our people in Sandler training about the same thing. We give them permission to ask the question why, the same question that when they were two years old, mom and dad said, stop asking why. Isn't that funny? We, as kids, we know this. I mean, that's the perfect example of the why question. It's the incessant, uh, young kid. Why? 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 Well, it's actually genius. I mean, it's like, yeah, if you, if you're honest enough to answer the question why and go five layers, you go, wow, actually that, that, that's the real reason you can't watch TV tonight or whatever that, you know, that why might have been or we can't go to grandma's. That's a Simon Sinek, uh, talk on Ted. I had on what? Oh, oh, yes, I did. I have seen that. Right. Excellent. Yes. Excellent yes, talk. I, I think he right, put right, a book right. out about that. Uh, right, 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 why right, before right. the what? And he took it through the Apple example. Yeah, exactly. So it's, that's uh, very much the same issue, but the, the, the tactic or method is, is, would be to use the five whys. And, and usually if you use the five whys to understand a problem or understand a customer need, mm-hmm. you'll get to the root cause. Yeah. Sandler used to say in, in what we call finding pain, in selling, uh, the rule is three plus. You won't get the real answer on the first three shots unless mm-hmm. it's really close to the surface. Mm-hmm. The fourth through the 27th, yeah, that, yeah, that's where you get the real truth. The real truth is I have no more budget or my my bonus is on the line. <laughs> and well, well, if I do this, I'll lose my bonus. Well, the real truth is the sales, the sales rep that's not doing very well is uh, a son-in-law and I can't fire him. Right, right. You've got to find something for him to do. Tim, let me ask you a entirely different question. That fair? Shoot. What motivates you to make tough business decisions? Hmm. <clears throat> Things like time, opportunity costs, uh, doing the right thing. I don't know if it's just one thing, right? Every situation is different. Um, <clears throat> Could you so, share with our audience a tough decision that you had to make? Could have been years back or could have well, been yesterday. Uh, the one I think most people can relate to typically is personnel, right, people. Mm-hmm. And one of the things um, that I really try to do, and I saw I saw the negative aspects of this uh, when I wasn't the boss, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. was um, leaders who kept people on, even though they really didn't like them mm-hmm. or they didn't really think they were doing a good job, uh, but they kept them on because it served their benefit as mm-hmm. a lead, you know, it, 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 in the short term. It was really unfair. It is unfair to both sides. Sure. Right. And so, um, it's much better to deal with, if there's an issue, deal with it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if that person needs to move on, give them the choice to move on. But to kind of string people along and make them think that they're doing okay or that they belong doesn't help anybody. Right. So, uh, there's a lot of reasons why sometimes people need to be let go. And I've always tried to take the road of putting myself, first of all, First, um, responsibilities to the rest of the employees. Mm-hmm. And usually when somebody needs to go, the rest of the employees know it. Know right? it in advance, they yes. know it. Second is to that person, the, the person that needs to be let go. It's really doing, it, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes it's doing them a favor. Mm-hmm. They might be much happier in a role where they do do well, right? And you see that they're struggling and they're having a hard time. They're having a hard time pleasing people. It's maybe, hey, look, this isn't the right environment. This isn't the right time. This isn't the right role. And if you get them into the right role, you see them just blossom, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I truly believe that. And so when I've talked to people, I've really tried to um, <clears throat> take that approach. And my goal being that, you know, if they came by a week or a month later, we'd still be friends. 
right. still be willing to help them out. Yeah. Uh, at Sandler, one of our management philosophies is to, when you bring on anyone, to let them know what it's going to take to be let go. In mm-hmm. sales, it's easy. You know, you have an objective. You expect you to make your objective in the first 90 days. Mm-hmm. We expect you to make at least 90% of your objective for every quarter. If you don't make it, you're probably not going to be with us. Right. If you can set that out. And it, it, I think part of it is it's separating out the personal and the emotional from what, what the, what the needs are, what the business needs, and just being clear. There, there's a book, I can't remember the author or a hand, but it's called Fierce Conversations. Mm-hmm. Fierce Conversations. And it's just about having the fierce conversation. Right. right. Take 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 yourself out of it. Mm-hmm. Think about the other person. Be very transparent. Mm-hmm. Look, this is what we need to have happen. And I, I'm, my shareholders, my bosses, don't let me use excuses. I can't, and therefore I can't have excuses from others. We either hit these objectives or we don't. Right. And uh, I think when you're clear and you're transparent, uh, that does make the conversation a lot better, and, and it removes the personal. It's not that somebody's a bad. A bad person or even incapable, perhaps. Yeah. I was talking to a, a CEO who had uh, 12 salespeople. And you know, he had a few at the top, a lot in the middle, and he had three down at the bottom. And my question was, why do you still have the three at the bottom that aren't making their numbers? Mm-hmm. And the excuse I heard was, well, i got to cover the seats. Mm, not really such a good excuse. No. You might as well bite the bullet. And you're losing opportunities for the company? And those people are losing opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They could be making progress potentially in a better job and a better role. Yeah. We had a study done uh, with Gardner a few years ago, and it said that every sales rep that had a $50,000 salary who didn't work out cost the company at least $150,000 mm-hmm. over the course of hiring a satisfactory sales rep in that same position. Yeah, not but, even a great one. Just, right. just satisfactory. Because he would lose opportunities that an average or better guy or lady would would, would definitely bring in. Uh, you had some companies that that have grown dramatically over the years, right, Tim? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the most important part of the equation of growth? People, process, and/or strategy. <laughs> and how would yes. you rank it? Yes. I mean, they're all important components, but how would you put well, it together? Well, I think. So I'll take the last one first, which is I, I believe in the quote, you know, strategy without execution is hallucination. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's just like design, you have to set the strategy right up front. Mm-hmm. If you do a good job of that, strategy is really only five percent of the effort. Mm-hmm. If you're having to revisit strategy every week, you didn't do a good job, you know, with the strategy, and that, then then you'll won't be able to execute. Likewise, right. won't be able to execute. Um, the companies I've seen and been a part of where the growth's been strongest. Five percent is on strategy. The rest is execution uh, and process. Mm-hmm. The and the process and the execution should be designed so that it's not terribly dependent on who the person is. You know, so that so it gives you the ability to hire people at different skill levels and train them up or you know move but them around. It also gives you the ability to judge performance. Sure, right, and then through that, the best people will emerge. Mm-hmm. Or, or or you also develop a recruiting process where you know. You can't do a good job recruiting unless you know your process well enough to know what you're recruiting for. Right. The better you know your process, the better you can recruit for the right type of people. And uh, I think we both could name companies that, that don't do that, that have 40% sure. uh, or more turnover rate. Sure. <laughs> Which is, in my opinion, unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think we have time for one more question, Tim. Uh 
Um, what are the top three things that uh, your people would say about your current sales culture at Share This? <laughs> sales culture. We have a great sales culture. I often would say, uh, you know, companies I've been involved in, sometimes you have a great product, but you can't get the sales piece right. Mm-hmm. Or you got the great salespeople, but you don't have the product right. Mm-hmm. When you get them both right, it's like magic happens. Oh, yeah. Right? And we have a great sales culture. Uh, we're about to do our annual sales offsite, and uh, which is just a blast. These are people that are, well, first of all, when you're in the advertising industry, mm-hmm. it, it, it sort of goes with the territory, right. you know. Um, but uh, we, ours, I'd put above everybody. Uh, our team in New York is known. Other, other companies, competitors included, know share this has the best sales team out there. Just great people. The kind of people that you would want to hang out with. The kind of people that, you know, you would consider family. Mm-hmm. Um, they just all really enjoy each other. They enjoy really being with their clients. And I'll tell you something else we're doing this year that I'm really proud of that's, that's uh, I think, pretty innovative, particularly in the ad industry where there's a lot of entertaining that happens. We tend to hire people that are, you know. The schmooze method of selling. The, 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 it's, it's how the ad industry works. And you're in New York City. You're, you're going out every night. You're right. doing something, right? How, but our teams discovered something even more interesting, which is they take clients out, prospective clients, um, and they come up with mission-oriented events. Hey, I'm going to go do uh, Habitat for Humanity this weekend. Let's all go. Mm-hmm. And there's a double, triple whammy effect. One, the, cl- the person from the client, they probably have community service hours they could credit for their company. Mm-hmm. So they're... It's helping them personally. Well, first of all, it's helping them personally do something that's good. It makes mm-hmm. them feel good. It's able to get them the credits they need for their company and community service hours. It's great bonding between our team and our customers, and they're doing something good. They're not just consuming alcohol or you know doing some of the other things that we do when we go out or you know, eat too much or whatever. They're doing something good. So we've made that part of our culture. Okay. So when you're at Share This and you're working with Share This, you're actually doing good. And uh, I, I love it. I That's think it's good. great. Put everyone in the, in the Rotary Club. <laughs> I'm part of the downtown Rotary Club here in Cincinnati, and we have lots of different projects um, because, in my opinion, no one project fits each business person's sure. personality. Sure. Tim, we've just about run out of time here. I'm going to uh, give giving you a copy of uh, one of David Batson's books, The 49 Sandler Rules. This came out about a couple of years ago, and it uh, went Properly to number one on the Amazon bestseller list. It has the 49 quintessential Sandler rules sequenced by the psychological method of selling. Great read. Went to uh, number three on the Wall Street Journal list. Stayed there for three months, and I think it's in the third or fourth edition right now. Thank uh, you. Thanks again for being on the show, and uh, I'm going to ask Scott to take it away. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. This program is the property of Sandler Training by Roth and Associates, Inc. The show may be distributed only with written permission and then only in its entirety. If you have any questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.